Coffee Geek, number 21. Recorded live in a coffee stain on your shirt. <laughs> you know what? Today, I actually got home and realized I had a coffee stain on my shirt, and I went to a client meeting today, and I was really just kind of wondering if I had this big brown stain during the meeting. <laughs> it's like those commercials. Oh, like- Dude, I don't know which is like one of the... Uh, laundry detergents and someone will be like at a job interview and they've got a little uh, stain spot so they'll be like answering questions but all the interviewer hears is the spots in there going like rah, 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 whenever the person tries to talk exactly they they make me laugh and that's what happened to you today oh speaking of me i'm your host craig and speaking of you i'm your host pat and speaking of the other you i'm just hanging out my name's Lori. yay but well look <laughs> wow guys. I think we just had our first passive-aggressive show introduction. That was very passive-aggressive. I learned from the best. Could you be passive-assertive or assertive-aggressive or I don't know? I've definitely been assertive-aggressive before. Get out of my way! Aggressive-aggressive or passive-passive? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Well, so I'm going to be passive and aggressive and assertive at the same time and say... uh, We're doing another episode on quantum mechanics. Please no. We are not doing another episode on quantum mechanics. Someday we're going to get a nice long episode on relativity, and our 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 audience is going to love it and hate it. Are you going to give them cupcakes? Cupcakes could help. That would be true. Yes, it'd be like giving a presentation where you bring them food. Okay, yep. so newsflash: today in Washington, uh, experts from around the country uh, that, or actually around the world that are experts in cybersecurity and, uh, you know, general, like, computer security, uh, released a consensus list of the 25 most dangerous programming errors that lead to security bugs and enable cyber espionage and cybercrime. I just... I know. I just read that. This is from a, uh, a an article released at the SANS Institute website. Uh, Which stands for? Uh, let me see. Story... This isn't one of these, like, hip... Uh, Linux ain't an acronym. I don't actually know. It's like South Africa National Source. No. All right. It's the Sysadmin Audit Network Institute. Okay. I knew it was something like that because they said they do like certifications and classes and stuff like that. I thought it was like kind of like a DeVry or something, but apparently it's a little bit more prestigious than that. (laughs) So, um, wow. Sorry to any of our listeners who went to DeVry. Yeah, if you went to DeVry, I'm... We just threw you under the bus. Well, I didn't mean that. I just meant, all right, well, I went to the University of yeah, Maine. Yeah, That's no better than did. DeVry. What? So there. Anyway, so, okay. They released a list of things programmers screw up all the time. They do, and these things are directly uh, responsible for cybercrime, denial of service attacks, Phishing, all that stuff. And uh, there was one part in the article they said two of these, and they didn't actually say which two, caused like 1.5 million uh, cyber crimes or whatever, you know, incidents just last year alone. So just two of these. So this is. We're going to have to guess as to which two they are. I think I know. I bet I know. I, I think I do too, actually. Um, so we. All right. So they, they split them up into three. Uh, three major areas, uh, insecure interaction between components, risky resource management, and porous defenses. The insecure interaction between components – And let's, let's explain that real quick for people who aren't – Well, I was, yeah, I was going to explain what, what like, kind of just like the gist of what each of these means. 
All right, go yeah, for it. Yeah, so the, the interaction, the insecure interaction between components is basically passing information from one part of a program to another and doing it in an, un, in an unsafe way where something can either be intercepted or, uh, or you know, you can kind of craft something so that it gives unexpected results at the other end. Right. And this is because, you know, most software products these days are huge and they're done by increasingly small teams, which means they're really built out of, you know, building blocks. You know, it's it's very rare these days that someone writes a program from soup to nuts. Uh, you know, they're usually it, it's like if you were building a car, you, but you were buying an engine to your specifications, buying a transmission, and hooking it all up together. Yeah, exactly. And that's which, which is still a lot harder than it sounds. Right, and, but that's pretty much how it works. So, uh, okay, so so let's run through these. All right, and, and they're very important. And if any of you are programmers out there, these are not the like obscure, abstract things that you'll never run into because you're not advanced enough a programmer. These are things that happen that. You can you can perpetrate in your first day of programming, just to and you probably will because we all do. right. All right. Uh, one is improper input validation, which means when you're allowing a user to type in some value, you don't check it for kind of like uh, magic magic words, so to speak, that will allow it to interact with your program in an unexpected way and potentially, re- you know, release information and or do something bad. Right. So if you're expecting a number, make sure what you got is a number. Don't let letters through. If you're expecting a date, make sure it's a date. All these kind of things. This is huge, 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 huge on the web. And it's a it's a beginner mistake, but there are a lot of beginners yeah. out there. It can cause errors or it can cause security breaches. All right. All right. So what's the next one? Improper encoding or escaping of output. This is huge. I've done, I've been responsible for this on more than a couple of occasions. Well, um, so this is when you're displaying information uh, to a user, and this is a hundred times worse when you're displaying information to a user that failed the last one. So it somebody injected bad data, and now you're displaying it without having made it safe for display. So a, a typical example of this would be like if I was typing my name into a web form, and I typed in a little block of JavaScript as my name. Uh, and you let that through when I entered it, which was bad, and then you let it back through again when you displayed it, which is even worse. Exactly, yes. Uh, another one is failure to preserve SQL query structure, which is called SQL injection, which means basically what you're typing something in, and it's not validated correctly, so it violates some of the other ones, and it will be fed to the database server and either do things in the database that it shouldn't or release information to you that it shouldn't. So for instance, if you know it says what is your name and you write Craig semicolon, you know, select star for Shut user down now. Yeah, or whatever. You know, it could be used for denial of service or there are known cases of, you know, you can send back uh information of uh select star from credit card number. Yeah, th- there was a an XKCD where the you know, the t- teacher is calling the parent. And she says, uh, you know, hello, Mrs. Smith. And she said, yes. And is your son's name really Johnny semicolon drop table? It was, it was Robert. Oh, Robert. She says, yes. And like, and we call him Bobby tables. That's it, yeah. Bobby tables. So, and so that that's pretty much, uh, it, it's huge. I, I've had to like talk to my, uh, colleagues about this before and, also found that I've been uh, guilty of it before too. In my, yeah. it's it's not very obvious um, until you until you know what to look for. It's not obvious they can do this. But basically, you want to make sure anything the user is typing in 
can't be a database commit. That's right. Yeah. And they've got two, the next two they list. They're they're actually pretty much the same idea. So I just kind of want to sure. breeze through them. Those are. Um, I'm not going to give their crazy formal names. They, these are called cross-site scripting and command injection. Yep. So they're the same idea as SQL injection where you're able to put in some code that should run either uh, JavaScript-type stuff on a, in a web page or some uh, web applications are actually running commands on their operating system on their server. And, and some applications, you can actually type a you know, a, a Unix command in and get it run, which is really bad. Very, extremely. Okay. Um. A, the, the next one is uh, clear text transmission of sensitive information, which basically means doing things like transmitting usernames and passwords, credit card information, not using HTTPS. You know, and not hashing or encrypting information that you send. Right. That's all. So the, yeah, it's bad. Dangerous information should always be sent encrypted. That's right. End of story. Yeah. Cross-site request forgery. Um, I believe that's when you have one web page making requests to the back end of another web page. So you, you normally when the uh, the input to kind of whatever is going to do the processing would be controlled by this web page that you have is totally bypassed and you forge something and you can kind of convince the web page to or the back end of the web page to do things that it normally wouldn't do or wouldn't allow you to do. And this is kind of a new uh, horizon for attacks because a lot of web pages used to be web pages and now they're fancy Ajax applications, right. which means there's a lot of data services going on. Um, and so you get a lot of this, especially with some of the more advanced technologies for exchanging data. Exactly. Uh, the next... At the next... The- the next one they list is a race condition. This is when your programmers run too fast and they have heart attacks. <laughs> Very nice. No, this is when you have a program doing more than one thing at once and two parts of the program kind of step on each other, giving you really weird results. Um, a lot of times you can't predict what's going to happen, so that's really bad. Yep. And this this next one is one that is my like pet peeve of all time. Error message information leak, where you you're web page returns an error message and it does things like tell what version of the operating system you're using what uh what foreign key in what table in your database was you know constraint was violated or oh, this can be all, this can be all the way to on, on some frameworks when they're in debug mode it'll show you the exact you know what it was doing at the time yeah in code in database all of it in full detail which is great when you're writing a program it's almost always a case of going to the little checkbox that says, and stop doing this now. Um, and so it's incredible to see it happen, but it happens a lot, and it can give out a lot of sensitive information. This is usually not enough to crack through an application, but it'll sure help whoever is. Uh, yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you put it that way. It's true. Well, she's not a, dead yet. I have to tell you. I was so, I'm so afraid that, you know, that wouldn't happen. Well, I have to tell you um, – that one thing that is, that I just found out the other day that if you run out of disk space using ASP.NET, regardless of whether or not you have, you know, pages which will you can make it so that if you get an error, it goes to like a friendly page which doesn't give you any information. If you run out of disk space, it will fail and give you like d- directory paths and it'll give you like the full yellow screen of death regardless of what you tell it to do. So that is just kind of like a I mean, you shouldn't be running out of disk space. But if you do, that could ha- that could happen. 
Ouch. All right, so let's move on to the next section. Risky, risky resource management. This, Sorry. Yeah, no. I, I just wanted to say it. It was fun. It is. It's, I'll say it again. Risky resource management. It's like a cartoon character. This is the this is risky, <laughs> the resource management. No, this is when basically you uh, misallocate operating system uh you know, operating system structures or commands, or you basically use things that. So it's us- it's usually uh, something about um, starting a new program, getting a chunk of memory, yes. or getting a chunk of disk. But you know, but using them incorrectly or something like that. So uh, the first one is pretty much the nemesis of all programmers. It's called failure to constrain operations with bounds of a memory buffer, which means buffer overflow. Which what happens is that you write to an array and you write past the end of an array without doing bounds checking, and then you write into a part where program is being executed, and so it will see the data that you wrote and think that it's a command, and usually it'll tell you you'll tell it to like jump to somewhere else, and that jump will execute your evil code. Now almost all new operating systems have something called um, data execution prevention yep, Windows. or a similar technology, and that's where you. Your operating system knows this chunk of memory is data. I don't care if it happens to look like an instruction. You can't run it. And that that helps a lot. Yeah, and uh, some modern processors also have a data uh, bit on there. So it's at the hardware level that it says that uh, this piece of memory is not uh, this, you know, is not to be executed. So it's just, you know, extra strong. But that's still kind of like a new technology or newer. So the next is external control of critical state data. And I have seen this um, in my work. Um, I once had someone propose an uh, e-commerce package to us that did this. So the way this program worked, there was a web form where you did all your buying. And if you were clever enough to look at the source of the web form, the form fields contained all the information the application was expecting, including things like price. So you could set the price to zero or minus 15 or whatever you want. <laughs> so this is any time stuff that is critical data about how your program works and you put it in the hands of a user instead of leaving it under control of your program. Yep. Very, it, it's, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, external control of file name or path. Very, this is almost the same problem. Yeah, it's the same thing, except for it's a, a file instead. You know, if it's, you know, basically, you know, whatever, you know, Right, and this is, you know, someone's typing in a file name because you're going to let them view it, which is all fine and good, except they're smart enough to um, know how to end the command on your operating system. So, like, file name, semicolon, rm-rf slash, yeah. oh. which, which in Linux speak is delete everything. Or type in your file name, and they are smart enough to know about the dot dot directory entry, so dot dot slash dot dot slash, and you can go right up to the root and then do whatever yes. you want and, Okay, um, untrusted search path. Uh, so that is, um, search path is kind of this place that your computer knows to look. So when you say run Internet Explorer, it you don't have to say run C colon Windows System 32 iExplorer. You just say run iExplorer, and it knows to look in C system when C Windows System 32. Um, and this, I mean, this all operating systems do this. There's always some software that you just know to run without having to always specify exactly where it is. But you just uh, you need to not do too much of that. Um, and most operating systems, there's a way to say run wherever you happen to be, which is always a bad practice. By the way, Windows does that by default. Right. All right. All right. Failures to control generation of code 
almost exactly the same thing as SQL injection, except for it's basically code injection where you're dynamically generating code in, you know, maybe these dynamic languages where you can like Perl has like an exec thing or whatever, where you can like form code to be run within your code. So that would just be something where you people, it can be really valuable, but you have to be very, very careful about what users are allowed to put into that process. That's right. Sometimes it's a shortcut too. And you know, sometimes, sometimes shortcuts, not the best thing to do. All right. Download of code without integrity check. I just think about it in terms of you got a, you found, you need to do something. You found a, you know, a library on the internet that you're using. So bang, you just use it, you know, kind of sight unseen you know like oh i need something that will right read this you might not have gotten it from the right source it could have malicious code yeah in. you could do and if it's a, a well-known thing a lot of times we'll give you an md5 you can run a checksum on it and sometimes uh sometimes if it's open source you might want to just kind of take a look at it first to see what it does you know there's been known to have things where you know oh i'm just going to run this uh, library you know use this library i got and it's like a keylogger you know. Oh, and there was there was a Firefox add-on that did some stuff with Gmail. Yeah. And one of the things that it didn't disclose is that it was sending your username and password off to the the author. <laughs> exactly. Who swears it was actually a debugging thing that he didn't mean to get to release, and none of the accounts were actually used in a compromised fashion, but it's still bad. Very. It happens all the time. Uh, all right, and the last three of these, I think, are all expressions of kind of the same thing. Yeah, improper sh- resource shutdown or release, which can be like memory leaks and so forth, uh, where you don't give back the memory that you take correctly. Improper initialization, which is you're not, I guess, initializing. Usually means not initializing. It's like you allocate a big chunk of memory, and instead of clearing it first, you maybe leave what was there previously, which could lead to, um, in combination with some of these other flaws, like failure to constrain operations within a memory buffer. Um, someone might have found a way that if I make you upload an image first that actually has bad code in it, and then I make your program do this other thing, it's going to hit the same chunk of memory. Exactly. Uh, incorrect calculation is the last one of this. Um, and it has to do with things like, uh, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I, when I saw this, it reminded me of an example I saw once where I, I was using this piece of software where it's like a data viewer, and it would you basically enter in what you want the top and bottom uh, bounds for the graph to be. So you could look at, you know, look from time three to time seven or something like that. And I'm like, hmm, I wonder what would enter, happen if you entered in two zeros and bang, it like it crashed the program. And I knew exactly it was because it was dividing by zero. So something like that where you, it's kind of like a, a not validating your input, but where it's like you have a calculation which can crash the computer because you're not checking the, inputs to the calculation so right so this one's probably probably not always less likely to be a, a hacking path but very likely to be a uh, error uh, path an error like i might crash your application and shut it down until an admin can get in and restart exactly it. yep all right all right so our last category i can't i think the last category can probably move through the fastest yeah but it's porous defenses so a lot of people put a lot a lot of faith in the fact that i will harden the perimeter of my application so nothing can get in from the outside then everything's good and that's scary because there's a lot of simple mistakes you can make right so for instance improper access control is one where basically the the methods that you're using to keep people out like a username and password are 
either not appropriate or not robust. Right, and a great example of that is I only display administrative menu options if you're an administrator, and that doesn't work. When you actually try to run an administrative option, you need to know that you're an administrator. Yes, yeah, yeah that's exactly right. Uh, use of a broken or risky cryptographic algorithm just means something that someone can decrypt. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people try to roll their own, which is always a bad yeah. idea. Use SHA-5. That is like – that's the best one right now because there's like an MD5 uh, hack out there that's basically actively being worked on, and it's going to be not very long before MD5 is seriously compromised. Yeah, so th- this really requires a lot of expertise in the field, unfortunately, um, to keep up with. But there are there are particular weaknesses in particular applications, and you, you need to know um, what the right kind of cryptography to use for your purposes. Right. Uh, hard-coded password, basically when you're hard-coding a password that is needed for something in your application because it makes... And these are the traditional backdoors that we taught, we always like joke about that you think don't exist, but they really do. Yep. So, and a uh, piece of advice, encrypt your web config if you've got a database server uh, password in there because, you know, people can get in if they can get into your application and you have a hard-coded password somewhere that's, that people can read, they can just, well, take it. Yeah, so this is a common one. Very. Um, and it's it's easy. It happens a lot when you're, like, prototyping and doesn't get fixed later like it should. All right. Um, that's the next one. Insecure permission assignment for a critical resource. So this is... Um, Giving this is something. This is something like your web config that we just talked about. So this is you've got a central piece of really critical data that's not locked down and secured. And there's all there are. You can't make it impossible for an attacker to get it, but you can sure make it hard. And, yeah, and a lot of also think of this in terms of you know a directory on your web server uh, is you just give the the kind of the anonymous user full read, write, and execute access just because you're having some sort of permission issue, so you just open it wide up so that it can do what it needs to do. And that's bad. Yep. All right, so the next one is use of insufficiently random values. Programmers, let me, all you beginners, let me give you a hint. Your math.random or whatever your language's built-in random number function is, is probably not enough for cryptography. None of them are good enough. You have to use a much more expensive function to get better randomness. Amen. And make sure to seed it, too. <laughs> with the date time. It's, this is true. Make sure to use some kind of a, a seed. Uh, a seed is, uh, there's no such thing as a real random number on a computer. There are just very chaotic functions. Um, and so you always need to tell it where to start. And so a typical trick is to just use the current time down to milliseconds if you have it, because um, that's close enough to a random starting spot. Yep. All right. Two more. Uh, execution with unnecessary. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> execution with unnecessary privileges, which means that. Uh, you're executing your website, for instance, with an administrative user when, in fact, you don't want to have that because it, if you you don't want the user that is kind of running running on behalf of your uh, or you know your computer user that's running on behalf of the application users to have access to things that shouldn't. So you want it to be kind of focused on only what it's allowed to do. Right. Now, another typical example is you have a web application and the database user that it's running as has full read-write administrator access to the database, right? So your web user probably doesn't need to be able to start and stop your database server from running. Yes. It probably doesn't need the ability to write to every table in the database, maybe only a small subset. So 
um, stuff like that. Yeah. And it's, it's very common. Um, in fact, I've, I've used a lot of commercial applications that um, are poorly written and require that you do some of this. Yes. Uh, and the last one is this client-side enforcement of server-side security, meaning uh, don't allow something like the web browser, you know, JavaScript on the web browser to actually do any sort of validation of whether or not the user is who they say they are because that's always bad. You need to have all of your authentication and authorization take place on the server. Right, and this is a lot like my earlier example where you log in, and if you're an administrator, it displays the administrative commands to you. Whereas if you just happen to know the administrative commands and you type them in, they'll work anyway. Right. It's bad practice. All right, so this article made a few uh, assertions on the basis of these. I just want to talk about really sure. quickly. Basically, they came out and said, because of this list, like everything will be better. And I just don't believe that because here's the really scary part about this. Not one of these security problems didn't exist 20 years ago. Not. Like Every single problem here existed. Maybe web pages, specifically as a technology, weren't there yet. But the core problem behind all of these, not one of them is new. So I don't think this list is going to change that. And I don't think the list is going to change that, and probably the list won't change either. This is No, I, I think in 20 years, if you gave someone this list, it would be close to the same. I think us talking about it on our podcast, that is going to change a lot. I <laughs> mean, make less people or fewer people listen to our podcast? <laughs> all right, that's possible. No, I, I, hey, Laura, are you still with us? Yeah. <laughs> this is, all right, so I just want to say one last thing. What? I have to. I have to tell you. I, I went over Facebook and Twitter and stuff while you were talking. Oh well, th- this is this. Even though this may not be that interesting to the layperson, this is to anybody who does any programming at all. This is actually super critical. I mean, these things are. It's really kind of you know. I would encourage you to read the article. It's a little dry, but this is like I read through all of these things and I'm like, oh my god, I've. I've seen this, I've seen this, I've seen this. I was just kind of expecting it to be like, you know, something really kind of esoteric. And these are not esoteric at all. These are like things that with a very small amount of effort, you can uh, you can yeah. curtail. And very few people could actually solve all these problems, but I think every application developer should know about them. Yes, and be aware of even just one example of it so so you don't commit them without even realizing that you're doing it. Exactly. Lazy programming people, lazy programming. <laughs> Don't let it happen to you. That's right. Knowing is half the battle. Lori GI Pat. <laughs> Lori, what is all right, so what Lori do you think is the most important programming problem of our time? Um spyware? Which I'm sure Don't, probably fits Don't in, let it in. Probably fits into five or six of these at least. So see Oh, sure. At, at least. So, Lori, you are now officially an honorary software engineer. Thanks. And, you know, there's only one thing that's lamer than that. What's that? What's that, Craig? It's the latest news of the week. So, Lori and Pat, now that we're we've had this riveting discussion about... Uh, programming errors, we now need to talk about some things that are even lamer than that. Really? Yes. yes. So I th- There is something? There are. All right. I think we should allow... We'll play rock, paper, scissors to figure out who goes first. 
now. Um, Lori, why don't you go first? Ladies first. Ah, thank you. Well, um, I was looking on the internet and it seems that Australia has had a rash of shark attacks. Um, there have been three um, from Perth to Tasmania. Ooh. So uh, that's my news because these Australians are real tough and they are punching the sharks to get away. <laughs> Just like you always hear you're supposed to, but who would really have the presence of mind to punch a shark when you're being gnawed on? But yes, the Australians are punching sharks and living to tell the tale. So there we go. I saw it was like Mythbusters or something like Mythbusters, and they're like, "We're not actually sure if punching a shark like makes it go away, but if there's a shark chewing on you, it can't hurt. <laughs> it might hurt the shark. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it hurts for the shark to be chewing on you, but like, if if you're being attacked by a shark, punching it in the nose isn't going to make things any worse. Fair enough. And this one person said that punching the shark felt like punching a brick wall. Ah, but still, I'd rather try to get away and keep my foot, then give up and die. How many people do you think have punched a shark and a brick wall? Uh, Raph Macchio? I don't know. <laughs> I bet I bet this guy was like lying and he's never punched a brick wall. <laughs> well, That's true. It's- but I, I thought this was a, a good article because our friend Edmund has moved to Australia and um, hopefully he won't be in the water having to punch sharks, but just in case uh, he does and he listens to the podcast. Edmund, if there's a shark, you should do what the Australians do and punch them. Very nice. There's- and from looking at the show notes, it looks like you're trying to pimp his blog. Yes. Uh, Edmund has a blog about his travels to Australia and his adventures. So I just threw up the link. So anyone that wants to see Edmund's fantastic adventures to Oz, please go there. Well, thank you very much. Wow. All right. And so is that the lamest news or is it the shark thing? It's the shark. So is that <laughs> lame news or, or news about something lame or is the news lame that they're reporting it? I, I think that was lame news. Okay. Yeah. Th- yeah. Three shark attacks on something the size of Australia is actually pretty weird. Or small. In one week. Uh, wow. Okay, Pat. All right. Uh, what I thought was the lamest news was Macworld. That is pretty lame. Um, and specifically, iWork.com. So Apple announced iWork.com. So iWork is their challenger to Office. And the people I know who use it really swear by it. Um, so that's great. And it sounds like they're adding a lot of really cool features in there. Um, but then they started talking about iWork.com. So get this. On iWork.com, you can easily share your iWork documents with other people, like your your presentations and your Word documents in your Excel which is huh. what we already do to make Tweaking Geek, where we use Google Docs, which does the same thing, only it doesn't cost $60. Yeah, and it works perfectly fine. So I It was, doesn't have an I in front of it. <laughs> that's true. I, I was totally underwhelmed by everything from Macworld, but this was the biggest. I was like, wow, so I could pay for what I can already get on Google Docs. And it's not like Google Docs is a crappy free thing. It's actually a pretty nice you know, application. Yeah, it is. Cool. Well, that's... That's pretty yeah that's that's pretty lame. I, I heard about that. So this one is good coverage but the news itself is lame. Okay, my my news is a little is probably a little more lighthearted, but it's about a 107 year old Chinese woman is looking to find a man to marry for her first ma- for her first marriage. She uh she's no no spring chicken cuz she's 107 
and uh, is still looking for Mr. Wright. And she's worried about becoming a burden to her uh, to her family, which I would have to say it's pretty sad when like your grandchildren could have died of old age and you're like looking to get married. But she obviously doesn't yeah. have children because she's never been married. Or I think she should stop worrying about being a burden to her family and just go with it because she probably is. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, you know, she's probably been a burden to her family for the last 27 years, to be honest with you. Exactly. Well, I, I all I can say is that uh, uh, I am trying to find her number because yeah, hopefully she's rich. After 107, you've got to be able to accumulate <laughs> a lot of wealth. So you think? Yeah. So all right. So who had the lamest news this week? Craig. I don't know. I'm gonna go with the sharks. That was pretty. I, I was pretty yeah underwhelmed by the fact that three people got attacked by sharks in one week, and then. But they punched them because they're Australians and they're tough. That didn't make things any better. No, that that just like kind of made it like lame and punchy. All right, the sharks win! Yay! Yay! Congratulations, Lori. You're the lamest news of the week. Or actually, yay! I, uh, you know, I guess it's only fitting that I'm judged the most lame after <laughs> listening to your thing about software security because I didn't understand any of it. So that makes me lame. So speaking of how lame software security is. How cool would it be if we did a show of only things our listeners told us they were interested in? Really? Yeah. Wait, we've already told them about this twice. It's not coming as a shock or anything. Well, well maybe someone didn't listen to those ones. All right. So for episode number 22, we want to do a, a show of all user-submitted content, ideas, you name it. Right? Yep. Do we want to do this or are we just saying we want to do it as a big gimmick? It is, in fact, that'll, a gimmick. That'll be our secret. Oh, no, it's All totally right. a gimmick. But it's going to be awesome. It, it is. Well, it, 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 the thing is, it can suck and not be our fault. So <laughs> if episode 22 sucks, we're totally going to blame you. But if you want to be part of making episode 22 not suck, email us at tg at tweakinggeek.com or, co- uh, or post to our Facebook group, Tweak and Geek. Post to our podcast blog at tweakinggeek.com. Or call us at... Or call our phone number. Sorry, I keep cutting you oh, off. No, well, I, I, I don't know our phone yeah, number. I, was just, I don't think you know your phone I know the phone number now. What is the phone number, Lori? Oh, do I? 678-999-6321. I'm the only one around here who knows what's going on, of course. I've, ca- I've called it. You have. That's right. Oh, I have to say something about uh, all of our lovely people. We had a new listener who left a message on our, on our Grand Central line. And thank you very much. Except for... All they wanted to know was how they could get on the show. If you want to know how you can get on the show, you at least need to leave us some way to get back in touch with you. Because all I have is a message saying, how do I get on the show? Well, you know. Shouldn't we play the message? We should play the message and be like, and you've been on our show. Congratulations. Okay, I'll play the message. It's pretty underwhelming. No offense to the caller. We don't know who is it? We don't know who it is. Actually, I did see the number, and it came from, like, Michigan or something. So we have – so – uh, kudos to all of them. So if you want to be on our show, and this was you, or if this wasn't you, you could like call and lie and say it's you, and we'll probably put you on the show anyway. Yeah, we're all, it might be fun. Yeah, it would be fun. Yeah, trust me, they let me on the show. You're probably cooler than I am. If you suck, we will edit in comments to make it sound like we were ragging on you the whole time. Like, we will digitally make you cry. <laughs> we can do that, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not hard, but when we get done... We'll, 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 uh, you'll basically wish you'd never been born. Or, but or you'll wish back to this. 
listeners, you know, give us some ideas. Get, let us know what you want to hear a show about. And number 22 is all about you. We need to hear from you by February 6th, though, if we're going to have time to do this. Yes. Exactly. And, of course, you know, you can always request that the show just be run by me and it's me talking about fashion. No, that's really not a good idea. Oh, maybe. But if, if that's what you ask for, you are getting Tweak and Geek, the hot pants episode. Woohoo! All right. So Craig will wear hot pants for the whole episode. Like every other day. All right, so... He doesn't wear any pants, Pat. Oh. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> it's my little secret. <laughs> so, Very little. Yeah, thanks. So I hear. <laughs> thanks, lovely. All right. Okay, the podcast is over, and I'm going to go beat Laurie and Pat to a bloody pulp. Ow! Bye. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. Um, I just was wondering about getting on the show, so can you do me a call like later? All right, bye. So if we wanted to do this like 25 programming errors segment in 15 minutes, that means we're going to get less than a minute per, which is really useful information because I'm smart. Yes, and let's just say we did not get 25 programming tips in less than a minute, although we did all right. We did all right.